Welcome to The Last Word on the Crosstalk Messages podcast. Every week we take a last look at the message from the most recent Crosstalk. Enjoy this short conversation and stay tuned for the full message directly after. Good morning. This morning it is Friday, March 12th. Wanted to take some time to welcome you guys to The Last Word. The Last Word is a just a way for us to really have one last word about what mm-hmm. we talked about at Crosstalk this past week. And so welcome in, guys. I've got Paulina today with me. She spoke last night at Crosstalk. How's hey it going, guys. Paulina? Doing pretty good. Glad to be here. Paulina, I thought it was really cool last night. Um, you talked about, and you and I talked all week about how you feel like the Lord had really mm. just been teaching you something through this message and mm. through this passage in in the book of Luke. And so can you just kind of recap for us what do you feel like the Lord was teaching you this past week? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's one of those things where the Bible really is living and active. And even when I've read scripture that I know that I've read, God highlights different things and the Holy Spirit kind of pierces me with different things. And when I read this a couple, I guess a week or two ago, um, for the first time in preparation, I really was struck at that moment, the superhero moment of looking out over the city of Jerusalem and just how Jesus's response was to weep and how just, I can't imagine. And knowing what Jesus was knew he was heading towards, you know, and kind of realizing, I guess what God pierced me with specifically was that I think that he is facing me with condemnation and shame and, you know, kind of the things that I stir up in myself about all the ways that I fail and wish I was, you know, could do better, whatever. Um, And then instead, you know, even in my deepest failings, because I do have faults and failings that are feel big, you know, that even in those, Jesus sees me and has a heart of compassion and chooses, chose to lay down to lay down his life for me still, you know, willfully and purposefully moving forward. So that's kind of for me, just the takeaway that I got from God, just in preparation that he's really moved me by this week. Yeah. It's, it's really, um, that is a, such a valuable thing when we look at Jesus's compassion and weeping Mm. over the city of Jerusalem and for those people. And so last night you talked about um, the scene as it looked to Mm. the disciples, to the people who Mm. watched Jesus ride in on that cult, to the Pharisees, and how oftentimes we struggle when, quite frankly, Jesus isn't doesn't live up to who we expect him to be, or he enters into our life or answers our prayers in a way that's different than what we would think Mm -hmm. or want him to do. And so how do you have any sort of nuggets of advice or of truth that that help you and remind you in those times where Jesus doesn't do what you expect him to do or maybe even mm. want him to do? Yeah, I mean, it's so important. I think where I wasn't prepped to expect, I mean, cheesy, but to expect the unexpected, you know, but it's true. And we don't, even as I get to know God more and more, um, I just learn so much. And so I'm always, even when I think what I, that I know what's next or what God has for me, God always surprises me. And so basically for me, when I think about my life, when God really, if you would have asked me 
like for definitely 10 years ago when I was graduating high school, but five years ago, even what the next section would look like and what God would do and what I expected, you know, it would have been nothing that almost nothing that has to do with where I'm at now. And I know that that's, it's just the hard truth and the reliability that our need to rely and trust exclusively. And as far as for me, just a practical, I think it just helps me to know that and to have that upfront and to also know and to hopefully what I pray and want to be is someone that has not expected anything. You know, I've been wrong so many times, but also what God has for me is way better than the stuff I expected and wanted and prayed. And God didn't give me this life that I have right now is way better than the things I thought I wanted, you know? And so just knowing that Jesus does look at us with compassion and that he really does know best and trusting that, I think it just reminds me that no matter what it is, you know, that I'm expecting or not, that God will, it'll be satisfying because it's from him and I can just rest in that. Yeah, absolutely. And it even says in that passage that he offers us peace. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that that is something that I take a lot of heart in because I look back on my own story and I say, God, I, every plan that I've ever had for my life has not worked out. And <laughs> God has continually moved and, and shaped my life in ways that I didn't expect, but have always been for my greatest good. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I have to claim the peace that he, that he offers and that he brings mm-hmm. in those. Otherwise, I'm going to spend my entire life frustrated yep. with it. Yeah, so true. Absolutely. And so uh, as we kind of transition now from the triumphal entry into um the crucifix the trial mm-hmm. and the crucifixion story can you can you share with us one last thing on kind of maybe what you are most expecting or mm-hmm. what you're looking forward to as you've seen that su- we see that superhero <laughs> moment now yeah. what brings you hope and what is light in your life mm-hmm. as we transition yeah i mean what a cool we're heading into a cool month and really it is we know usually Easter for church things, whether we know what it means. That's how I grew up, kind of knowing it was something about church, but not knowing what it was. And so for me personally, I'm excited that we just get to see how in every ministry opportunity Jesus had so far that we've been reading through, he always, I mean, he healed and helped the physical things, the kind of clear earthly things like helping a blind man see, like raising someone from the dead, but he always addressed the soul and the person. And for me, that encourages me. And I know that when we look at Jesus and what he did on the cross, you know, and just seeing the spiritual significant, even greater spiritual significance, even greater than the physical one, that encourages me because he really has come to let me be free and to do kind of the things that my soul really desires, even whether the physical and earthly circumstances pan out the way I want them to, you know, that this Easter, I'm just going into it, remembering that he does the most, he does all of it and does what's like you said, for our good and what's satisfying and what I really need eternally, you know, thousands of years from now versus just in the next two. Awesome. That is a good last word, Paulina. Thank you so much for, for speaking last night and for talking a little bit more today. And we, I hope that you guys enjoy the message and we'll see you guys next time. My name is Paulina. Welcome you guys to Crosstalk. You are, if you haven't already finished 
classes for the week. You are so close to spring break. And I know you guys are probably as excited as I am because it's time. A week off. It's good for anybody and everybody. So again, my name is Paulina. If we haven't met, um, I'm on staff here at Crosstalk and Cypress Creek Church. And I'm from Austin, Texas. My family's from Mexico City. Um, but I came to San Marcos to go to school at Texas State. Um, oh my gosh, temporarily forgot how to do it like this, right? Um, almost did my high school one. <laughs> That's the truth. But um, I came to Texas State. I am proud to be a Bobcat. And I'm middle school and high school math certified. Never got into the classroom. Started working for the church right away. Um, and so I've been living in San Marcos ever since. And Honestly, it's been awesome. And if you don't know me, something really important to know about me, if you do know me, you know this is true. This is like a significant pillar of who I am. And it is that I love crime TV shows. I love them. I love one particularly. I won't tell you which one, just to protect myself, but it is about heinous crimes that the dedicated group of detectives investigates. And that's my favorite. But I have a defense because people always come against me and are like, that's a terrible show. Because it is heinous acts, right? But I think the reason or part of the reason why I love that show is because there's always a conclusion. Like in 45 minutes, you get some of the worst things that could ever be done to a human being, but you also get them punished. You know, like justice happens, the judge sentences them, whatever justice is carried out in one episode. And it's so satisfying. So all it takes is that one episode. And so that's my defense on why I love that show. But the reason I say all of that is because we, if you've been at Crosstalk this semester, we've been looking at the whole book of Luke from the beginning to the end. And we're at the part now where we are at the very end, the last chapters, um, the last section of Luke. And so really, when we talk about the journey, this is the part where I want to encourage you guys to just lean in, not because it's me or because I think my words have value, but because of this part of what's happening. Because what we've been seeing is Jesus, first born, raised, becomes an adult, he starts his ministry, he's baptized, starts his ministry, and then he's been doing these incredible things, saying the wisest things that anybody had heard, doing miracles that nobody had ever seen. And now we're at the point where we're like getting to like the peak of the story. And of course, we know the full story, but just want to encourage you guys to lean in on this part specifically as we take tonight and then the next couple weeks to close Luke. Um, and so last week, if you were here, JD talked about the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector and really just narrowed in on self-righteousness and justification and what it means to be justified before God. And if we look at Luke 18, the rest after that, Jesus has some conversations, tells some more parables, and he also predicts his death for the third time. And I love this because I love when things are relatable to me. And Jesus tells them, tells the disciples, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be flogged, killed, then I'm going to raise again in three days. And the next verse is, the disciples did not understand any of this. And that's awesome because I don't understand things sometimes too. So that happens. And then that leads us into what, if you were at community groups, 
um, what we talked about, which was a blind beggar receiving his sight. And what's cool about that, you guys probably talked about it at groups, that and then this parable um, that JD talked about is that they both have this tied in of both the tax collector and the beggar said, have mercy on me. And they have that kind of heart attitude and the blind beggar receives his sight and the tax collector walks away justified. So all of that is what's been building to now where we're at tonight. And when I was thinking about um, this, like I said, lean in at this part of the story that we're at, we're right at the peak. I was thinking, I was picturing how it felt like a movie, like a Marvel movie or like a superhero movie, you know, where the hero, like, you know, that evil is coming. And yeah, okay, this is what I picture. <laughs> because it's that point where evil is coming, the hero, like, Spider-Man puts on his thing, you know, like they all have the pose over the city. And that's what's happening is we're coming in on that part where it's like just right at the climax of what's going to happen. And we're right at like stuff is about to go down. Jesus is about to face what this whole story has been about. And so picture that with me because I like analogies. So that's where we're at in this story. And we're going to just jump in. We're in Luke 19. And we're going to start reading in verse 28. And it says, After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. So honestly, we might want to try that and just start saying the Lord needs it. But what I just right away, we're just going to walk through a couple of these verses and then we're really going to land at the end. But right away, what I see and learn about Jesus is that he was forward moving. We, spoiler alert, we have the whole picture, which is what Jesus did after this. But what we can see now is that Jesus wasn't hiding and got trapped and dragged to the cross, but Jesus was forward moving, knowing exactly what would happen. Every step that he would take, every pit that he would be whipped, all of it, Jesus knows, and he's forward moving, willfully and purposefully moving to purposefully lay down his life toward us, for us. Let's keep reading in verse 32. It says, those who were sent ahead, went and found it just as they had told him, just as he had told him. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. And Zechariah 9, 9 says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And this was such a cool, I just can't, not mention that what Jesus is doing this act, this is to fulfill a prophecy that had been declared way before this is actually happening. And Jesus is already in this act in both sending disciples and having the donkey ready to be brought back. And the only response needed is the Lord needs it. What it teaches us is that Christ has dominion over all. I mean, if this is not teaching us that Jesus is fully God, and that's, that's the point, is for us to know that God works all things and ordains them in this way and fulfills his prophecy. 
Let's read in verse 35, it says, they brought it to Jesus through their cloaks. They brought the donkey to Jesus through their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And you're probably, well, if you're like me, you're like, what? Why? But the what that means, the taking off their cloaks and putting it down was an expression of gratitude. And so all of it starts with the disciples and they gratefully and joyfully take off their coats and they put them on the donkey and then they put Jesus on it. And as they start going, I mean, I can't even imagine this scene, but as, as, as they start going, everybody starts doing the same and laying it in front. And then donkey, the donkey with Jesus is riding in, getting ready to go into Jerusalem. I'm going to read one more section and then we're going to pause This is verse 37 and 38. And it says, When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So, all of this is happening. The Everybody's putting down their cloaks and the donkey's walking on it with Jesus. And then they all start joyfully praising God. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And when we think about the rest of Jesus's ministry, when y'all think about everything we've talked about, the trend is usually that Jesus does something incredible and then he retreats. He feeds the 5,000 and then he retreats across the lake where he does an incredible healing and he tells the people not to tell anybody. So this is a really rare instance that we're in where Jesus is letting all of this um, celebration and kind of fame go on him. And what could have been Jesus's ministry is him healing someone and then staying in that town, kind of soaking it all up, all the fame and probably being fed grapes, you know, that kind of scene. But Jesus retreated and fled from those places and didn't let that celebration build up. And so this is super unique that this is happening. And this is called the triumphal entry. And so it becomes this crazy scene. And still they're coming on the hill called the Mount of Olives that overlooks Jerusalem. And so um, where we are going to talk about is that kind of that building, the triumphal entry is the peak. Uh, I'm not a writing literature major, but some people are. So whatever that, like the, you know, growing part up to the peak of the story, that's where we're at with this triumphal entry. And what's cool about this is it's not that Jesus finally said like, okay, I deserve my fame now, which he does, but he didn't. What I believe is the reason that Jesus let so many people see this is because he knew where he was headed. And so the more people that saw his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the more people that would see and know about his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection. So all of this fame he knows is just pointing to one thing, which is to be even more inclusive, to bring even more people in to believe, to see and to have experienced his life in sacrifice. So before, when I was reading this for the first time a couple weeks ago. I was just listening to the audio and I prayed and asked God to show me, like, I just prayed, Jesus, would you show me as you see, which I hope 
I always want to pray that, you know, because I do want to see. I'm tired of seeing the way that these worldly eyes see. I want to see the way that Jesus sees. And so where we're really just going to land tonight with the end of this is in three parts. We're going to look at the scene as this triumphal entry, as it looked to the people, including the disciples. And so and we're going to look at two more. But for the people, when you think about the, at this point, people knew who he was. They had seen him do amazing miracles. They had heard about him. And so all this fame has built up. And yet right now, the, the public voice is crying, find it. blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And yet less than a week from right now, when this is happening, the public voice would be crying out, crucify him, crucify him. And so the scene as it looks to the people and the disciples makes reminds us what we've talked about from the beginning with Luke, which is that the Jewish people expected the Messiah to be totally different than who Jesus was. Definitely not to be so humble and lowly, but they expected him to come take away all their oppressors, all their troubles, and to just come slam his kingdom down. And what we see is Jesus humbly riding in on a donkey. And honestly, it just reminds me of how I am similar and how I expect and want Jesus to do things and be things that is not who he is. And my response when Jesus is not what I expected or doesn't do what I expected says a lot. They, even the way they say, blessed is the king who comes. They saw him as king and they saw him as king and like, oh, you're going to take our troubles. You're going to come take this, take for power by force. And really, Jesus was headed to die, to actually lay down his life. So the scene as it looked to the people is that they perceived a king. And the second um, perspective we're going to look at is the scene as it looked to the Pharisees. Verses 39 and 40, it says, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So whereas the people are perceiving a king, the Pharisees in some ways perceive the opposite. They're, they perceive a teacher. So at this point, to not at least say that Jesus was a good teacher was like ridiculous because they had seen him do incredible things. They had seen and heard him say incredible, wise things. But the Pharisees are uh, devaluing his role by calling him teacher. Like, okay, you can teach good things, but rebuke them because they're praising you like God. And Jesus's response, it says, if they keep quiet, like if the people that are praising him, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Well, again, in less than a week from when this is happening, Jesus would be crucified and his disciples and the people that had seen and known him and his ministry would hide and scatter. So when there wasn't praise, the Bible tells us that when Jesus was crucified, the earth quaked. That sounds like stones crying out to me. How incredible. The, so the people perceived him as king. The 
Pharisees perceived him as a teacher. And then really, we are just going to, we have one more section and we are still with this. Who is Jesus then? This is their perceptions. This is this triumphal entry scene as it looks to both of them. And the last section is we're going to look at this scene as it looked to Jesus. And to do that, we're going to read the last little bit here of this section. So we're going to start in verse 41. And it says, As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And what we do know is that what Jesus is saying here about Jerusalem is true. It happens. Rome comes in shortly after this and destroys the city, flattens it. So the prophecy that Jesus is saying here is true. It happens in a short amount of time after. But to me, it just feels like that's a small part of what Jesus is weeping over here. Because really, what he says at the beginning of that is that if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. And what I see there and even as we talked about both what the people saw and the Pharisees saw, we are blinded. We're all blinded. We're blinded by pride, by greed, by jealousy, by ourself, like just absorbed in ourselves. We're blind by our sin. We're all blinded. And this just, God really wrote this part on my heart this week that when Jesus looked on the city and saw what he would do, what we humans would do by crucifying him and what he willfully would do by giving up his life, his response wasn't mockery or criticism or condemnation, but his response was a tender heart that wept. That wept because we don't get it. We don't get that he brings us peace. On this day, what would bring you peace? And then at the end where it says, you didn't recognize the time of God's coming to you. And that feels really convicting to me. I don't want to miss what brings peace. The world is just starving for peace. We're not finding it. We might find a little bit, but we're not finding true peace. And I, for one, don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss the peace that Jesus offers. And I don't want to miss God's, I don't want to not recognize God's coming to us. When I thought about this with my story, I saw so many things, honestly, because how many times have I just been blinded to by a million things? When I was, when God told me to guard my heart in the world, I was blinded by codependency and people pleasing and attention and acceptance and approval. When God told me to forgive those who hurt me, I was totally blinded by bitterness and hate. When God told me to flee 
from the things of this world, to not get wrapped up and conform to the world. I was totally blinded by instant gratification and just, no, I want this now, my way, in my time. When God has told me to trust him wholeheartedly, I have been blinded, especially on this one, over and over again by my walls and my desire to be totally self-sufficient and not need anybody or anything. When God tells me to find comfort in him, a lot of times I'm totally blinded by my pain and my own earthly sight of things. And I don't want to miss it. And I don't want us to miss it. I want us to feel this message. I mean, the weeping Jesus getting ready to go lay his own life on the cross. That's who he is. That teaches us his heart towards us and how many times I think that he's going to respond with criticism and like a list of my wrongs and condemnation and all that stuff. That's not who he is. He looked and he wept and then he drew near physically like he actually kept going and chose. His life wasn't stolen from him, but he chose to lay it down for our, on, for our sake, on our behalf. I want to, the uh, section, this last section of the next three weeks of this series, we called The Tragic Triumph. And I really like titles like that, but like something cool that you kind of read into it, you know, it's like an oxymoron. But um, I think the tragic triumph here and that we can just prepare ourselves for as we finish out Luke and even as we're close to Easter and what we celebrate with Easter. And it's a tragic triumph because the triumph, well, the tragedy is that it cost my sin, cost the life of Jesus. That's how much my sin is worth. That's how much it separates me from God. And that's also how worthy Jesus is. That's the triumph. The tragedy is that it costs his life, but the triumph is that me, You, we get to benefit from a triumph that we did not even take one step towards accomplishing. We didn't even, we don't even get to contribute an ounce. All of it is totally and fully provided for by Jesus. That's the tragic triumph. And when we're talking about how we're blinded by things, how the people saw Jesus as king and they saw him for what? they wanted like their immediate needs, like come take over this place so that we aren't oppressed so that we don't deal with this stuff, but just come get rid of our immediate hardships. And the Pharisees saw a teacher, like that guy has some good stuff to say. And who Jesus, the reason both of those aren't enough is because Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus has saved us. Jesus is king, but not just in an earthly way. Jesus is king in heaven. And he is teacher, but he's not just a teacher to go to school to. He's savior. And when the people saw king riding in and the Pharisees saw teacher riding in, what really was happening, because we know the full story, is that Jesus was really riding in as the lamb for slaughter to pay the price of his blood over us, 
for us in my place, in your place. And I don't want to miss it. I really feel like that's my phrase for today. And that's the conviction in my heart today is that I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss the peace that Jesus truly offers. And I don't want to miss the time that God is coming. He has come. We, if you're all of us in here and watching and involved here, no matter what point we're at in our walk, what I do know is that God is allowing us to see. And I'm so grateful because the other option would be to just let us have the world and let us go about our way and just be totally content living the way of the world. But whether you're somebody that's just checking out who Jesus is for the first time, or if you've already seen him move mountains in your life, either way, God is allowing us to see. And I want to hold on to that. And I want us to hold on to that as a community, that we wouldn't be blinded by all the other stuff. And all we have to do is just ask God to help us to remove that stuff to see as Jesus sees. And it's going to cost us but it's going to be worth every little and big thing that it costs. It's going to be worth it. So we can receive his tragic triumph that we celebrate for this next month with Easter.